Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we are going to do our week two mailbag that we call here, We Out You, where we get to hear from you, your most pressing questions and opinions going into this week two of college football. And I want to get right to those. And to help facilitate that, I want to bring in producer Tyler, Tyler Wojak, noted Notre Dame fan and absolutely flexing on us for those of you watching on video with the Masters polo. What's going on, Tyler? <laughs> I'm flexing, but let me just come out and say it. I'm a fraud. I did not get this at the actual Masters. Shout out to Mike Essie at TaylorMade Golf. He supplied me with the the polo, and it looks nice, so I'm going to continue to wear it. I was kind of hoping you didn't mention it, but it's out there now. We have to address it. <laughs> I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I see the yellow there, it's and I'm cool. like, wait a second. Yep, he's doing it. See? See? You did it. It's golden, <laughs> like the bear. Fair. Right now, off the bat, too. I, well, th- see – Man, are we going to go off on a master's tangent here? Because we could, but we're not going to, because I would be here all day with all things to say about Augusta and what we can expect in 2023. But that's not this show. This show is college football first, last, and only. Tyler, what do we got on docket today for our week two mailbag? All right, so we're going to start off with some fan-submitted questions before we get to some questions that you posed, and we got some good responses from the fans. So the first question comes from Joseph Weiss. I think I'm saying that right. He says the SEC is 14-1 so far, including a 2-0 or including a 2-0 Vanderbilt and Florida's upset of number seven Utah. The only loss is LSU playing a de facto home game against FSU. Is Florida State better than we thought, or is LSU just that bad? First, I need to shout you out for the 14-1 there. Uh, Joseph Weiss, as I understand it, is an Oklahoma fan. And conveniently has already put Oklahoma in the SEC and acts like Texas does not exist, even as Oklahoma and Texas play in the Big 12. But I guess if 14 and 1 were at 15, so 16, ugh. point there being, hey, LSU had an opportunity to get the SEC off to a 13, uh, 14 and 0 run, and that came up short, quite literally, with a blocked extra point. But I want to take this opportunity to just give Vanderbilt their flowers, all right? They are 2 and 0. At a time when a whole bunch of other teams are one and one or zero oh and one, and frankly, I just did not expect Clark Lee to be up on it in 2022. Now there are those of you that have been living and dying and swearing by Clark Lee, but I also know that's Vanderbilt, and that's a lot to overcome. So much so that the last guy that overcame Vanderbilt is now the head coach at Penn State and took a 10-year, 70 million dollar extension to stay there. 
But I don't think that LSU is just that bad. They're clearly very talented. They just need to work on what I, what everybody needs to work on, quite honestly, special teams, right? You got to be able to take care of the rock. You have to be able to block, tackle, punt, all those things. And, and I put this out on the Twitters. Look, when you have two muff punts, a blocked field goal, and a blocked extra point, right, plus a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty from your five-star linebacker in a critical situation – yeah, you're going to put your team behind the eight ball. But I didn't see anything there that LSU can't overcome. But I am, like many of you, just kind of can it get any weirder and cooler this sport the way that it goes down on a Sunday night just before Labor Day. Tyler, what do you think? I mean, that was a tough night for Bayou Brian down there in New Orleans. Um, it is a little bit poetic, too, given all their special team struggles because the only uh, coach from Notre Dame that followed – uh, Brian Kelly to LSU was Brian Polian, and he's the special teams coordinator. So seeing that as a Notre Dame fan, like I don't, I don't even hate Brian Kelly. Like pretty much the entire internet does, but I still did get quite a chuckle there at the end. I mean, for LSU, Brian Kelly has a big old mess to clean up, and that became apparent. And even though they have a ton of talent, it's probably going to take a little bit longer than LSU fans would hope to sort of right the ship. But I think eventually they'll figure it out and they'll get back on track. But uh, it might take some time couple things I want to point out there for the diehard college football fans. First is, I saw what you saw. LSU's got an offensive line situation. It's got to get fixed because Jaden Daniels can't spend the rest of his career running away from people trying to chase him, especially in the SEC West where he's liable to get caught more times than not. And the other part about this that I thought was really interesting that, well, makes this more like college football that I know and love, Kayshawn Butte just decided that, you know, hours after losing to Florida State in a nationally televised game, he was just going to remove all LSU paraphernalia from his Instagram account, and now it is a thing. You have some cultural issues, and you have some fundamental physical issues that you got to overcome down there at the university in Louisiana, and what I think is still the best job in all of college football. But yes, Brian Kelly has quite a lot to fix before we can even begin to talk about them being a championship-caliber football team. Yeah, I saw Boutte and how he removed all the LSU content. It's not good for Brian Kelly. It is probably good for his NFL draft stock because it shows that he's NFL ready. I mean, he's following in the footsteps of A.J. Brown. Debo Samuels did it. Hey, they got what they wanted. Maybe now Boutte is going to get some more. Yeah, it's a thing. I mean, I hate it personally, but it's effective. So we can't fault him there. All right, let's move on to the next question. This comes from Tim Dwyer. The Jayhawks won by 46 and covered by more than a couple touchdowns. Is this the actual start of something? I sure as hell hope so. Like, I have been the dude in the driver's seat of the race car that is national media guys going Kansas is about it. And I've been on that train basically or driving that car as it were because I'm mixing up my own analogy. Since May of 2021 when we first learned that Lance Leipold was going to be the guy he didn't really get to meet his team, honestly, see what they were about until August of that year. And all they did was damn near knock off Oklahoma in an 11-win season and knock off Texas in Austin in what was one of the more thrilling games of the 2021 season. And now this year, they went into the portal and added a bunch. One of the guys flew under the radar for many is Ohio State transfer safety Craig Young. They are really looking at the Big 12 saying, no, we belong and we can compete. And then, yeah, you get a 46-point victory against an FCS opponent. I don't care because it's Kansas, and they haven't been really, really good for about 15 years. And I think that they have the right coach, the right athletic director to put them on what I think is a consistent 
route to winning and winning pretty regularly as the Big 12 is going through some transition in the next couple of years. I think there's going to be some jockeying for position here. And Leipold has guys that believe in him, guys that he really wants to coach up. And frankly, he's doing a great job of getting to know them. I think many of you are going to get to know Earl Bostic Jr.'s name by the time we get to April 2023. He's an offensive tackle because he went from giving up basically a sack a game before Lance Leipold got there to giving up just one sack in his last 11 games going into this season. And I asked Earl, who had been around since 2017, having seen a bunch of different coaches and coaching staffs, what changed? And he said, Coach Leipold just asked me about me. He showed me that me, the person, is a very big deal to him. And then he just made the game simple. Says, see thing, block thing. <laughs> that was what it came down to. And if that is what you have to do at Kansas to get these sorts of results, look out. I think the Jayhawks are going to be about something really spectacular in the years to come. Tyler, what do you think? You've been on this for a while now. You're right. And honestly, your confidence is the reason that I took the over on their season win, to season win totals. Now it was only two and a half, but hey, we're, uh, we're a third of the way there. Um, I don't like their matchup against West Virginia this weekend, but I think they can upset one of their uh, Big 12 opponents this year and get to that third win. I think you had them, and uh, we're doing our conference previews this season. You were high on Kansas again there, too. So you're right. You've been driving this car for a little bit now. All right, let's move on to the next question. This one comes from a colleague of yours and ours, really, Ben Verlander. He asks, is Old Dominion the best team in the country? Look at ODU Ben coming through. I like it. For those of you that do not know, Old Dominion upset Virginia Tech over the weekend in what has become just a dramatic uh, example of what college football is and can be. One, you get an Old Dominion that was playing double-A football like 15 years ago, upsetting Va Tech, I believe for the second time. Yep. And they're on the schedule, right, for the next 10 years. Basically, this is going to be an interstate rivalry between them because Old Dominion has willed it so. The Monarchs coming and showing up. But also, you had two former Penn State coordinators going at each other. Ricky Ronnie being the head coach at Old Dominion was offensive coordinator at Penn State. And, of course, Brent Pry was defense coordinator at Penn State last year. He takes over Virginia Tech. You had Virginia Tech coaches get stuck in an elevator as they're also down at half. And then you have Ricky Ronnie and the Monarchs coming to upset them 20 to 17. And then it got a little bit worse as Vatek told ODU's athletic department, hey, we have some things that were uh, pilfered from our locker room. We'd like you to take a look at that. And the authorities are involved. But for Ben's purposes, who is a diehard ODU college football fan, let's 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 not ruin this moment. OK, this is really nice. This is really nice for you. This is really nice for ODU. I'm just going to remind you that uh, my University of Tulsa Golden Hurricane absolutely gave ODU the business. So I wouldn't want to talk about them being the best team in college football just yet, but very nice for you. I'm very happy for Ben over there at Flippin' Bats. For those of you that do not listen to the show, please give it your time. Ben is extremely enthusiastic about the sport. And if you need Shohei Otani content, he is your man for such things. Tyler, what do you think? Look, they might not be the best team in the country, but they're making a strong case to be the best team in Virginia. That's two wins in the last four years over Tech. Tough start to the Brent Pry era over there at Tech. I think they had five turnovers and a million penalties, and then they got all their stuff stolen at halftime. Fun fact, that actually happened to me once during uh, my high school career. Senior year, we uh, played this team. We were up like 49-7 at half. They responded by just stealing all of our stuff. Oh, well, we got it back. All right, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. Uh, this is a question that you posed. Now, I should clarify that you did ask this during the game, but you asked your followers, could this Ohio State or Notre Dame team beat Georgia. So our first response here comes from 
title town spelled T-O-U-N. They say, yes, without a doubt, Georgia solid, but hard to tell how good against a Pac-12 cupcake who is propped up in the rankings for ratings. What do you think? A Pac-12 cupcake that was propped up in the ratings. That's, that's, ooh, that's coming on a little strong there. All right, so I posed this question, one, because I genuinely believe the folks that follow me on Twitter love college football are very, very smart about the sport and usually come to some sort of thought that most of us agree with or just is not something I really think about. So I was watching the game, watching how Ohio State and Notre Dame really did get after each other, and those are two top five teams, according to me. Uh, and I left them there because I didn't want to penalize people for playing a close game and a game we wanted to see. But I've looked at Georgia just, you know, three hours early, and I'm going, my goodness, uh, that team looks unstoppable. And I got to give it to Ohio State and Notre Dame fans. None of them are delusional, at least in the replies to my question there of, hey, could either one of these teams be Georgia? Like, not today, dog. Week one, nah. We might be able to close the gap over the next 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 weeks, but doesn't look like it. And, you know, that's a really sober take to play, uh, to, to take, a sober take to take. Yeah. But also, I'm looking at that, and I'm going, hmm, if you're Ohio State, you got to keep shopping wood. And if you're Notre Dame, you certainly feel better about yourself than I think you sh- might have coming in. We'll see. But, no, I think right now Georgia's the class of the field. Could change. I'm excited to see what Georgia looks like when they get to play a little bit better SEC competition and, like, say, an Alabama later down the line, maybe an SEC championship game, but they're probably going to get – a little bit of a run from Kentucky and Florida in the division. And it's going to be fun to see if that question still holds up the way that I think it does right now in about 15 weeks. Tyler, what do you think? I agree. I want to show you uh, this response from Dominic Woods. Dominic says, if it's the Georgia team I saw today, then heck no. Well, I think Mm. that's fair, but it kind of goes to your point, right? Like it's one game. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. It sort of reminded me how last year Alabama opened the season against Miami. Miami was ranked 14th at the time. I'm pretty sure the game was in the exact same stadium and Alabama just wiped them off the field. It was over from the very beginning. It was sort of our first taste of Bryce Young and we saw how good he could be. And after that performance, you're thinking Alabama is going to steamroll everyone they play until the national championship. Clearly, that wasn't the case. I mean, they lost to an unranked Texas A&M team. They, I mean, Auburn had them on the ropes. If it wasn't for Bryce Young going hero on the last drive, they'd probably lose that game too. They obviously were a very good team. They ended up losing the national championship. But I think this could be a case here in the first game. Oregon ranked a little bit higher than they probably should have been. Now, Oregon could still be a very good team. But I think it, it might be too much to say, let's take that one game and that one example and say Georgia's going to just dominate everyone the rest of the way. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm inclined to agree with your point there, and it's a good one about what Alabama did to Miami and then what Texas A&M did to Alabama and what Auburn did to Alabama, quite frankly, which 
is begging the question for me, how does Georgia operate now that it has the number one headband, right? Because that's what Alabama was dealing with last year. For those of y'all that don't know the number one headband, I am a black man that loves Afro Samurai, and the first Afro Samurai six episodes are about him trying to pursue the number one headband from justice to be the greatest fighter in all the world. He gets the number one headband, and then the second time around, he has to actually fight his daddy, among other people, to get the number one headband back after it had been stolen from him. Point here being, Stetson Bennett was on his Bruce Leroy, right? He had the Golden Glow against Oregon. Can he keep that glow as he gets into better competition? I did not expect to be talking about Stetson Bennett the way I was talking about Bryce Young last year, showing some absolute wiggle, showing some really great decision-making skills, and showing dudes like Lad McConkie can get into the end zone, which feels like a dude that ought to be driving moonshine out of Dawsonville, <laughs> Georgia, but that ain't what it is. Same thing with Stetson Bennett. Just got a little bit more wiggle and a little bit more know-how than I would give him credit for. Look at this play here. You evade one defender. You see two coming after you. You evade those two, and you throw one back against your body into the end zone. That's just not what I thought Stetson Bennett had in his repertoire before this season. And now that you've demonstrated against what I think is a decent, if not good, Oregon defense, we could have other conversations about the offense. I want to see how this develops, especially as they get into that SEC schedule where I think, yeah, most of the teams on there, save a couple, have an opportunity to, to shock the world and get a win against Georgia. And then how does Georgia bounce back from that? But again, these are all things that we may or may not get to see based on how Georgia carries the number one headband. Tyler, did I stretch that just a little too far with the uh, with the analogy there? <laughs> I don't understand the analogy, so I'm going to just trust you on it. I will say Stetson Bennett went from like plus 5,500 or something crazy to win the Heisman. I think now he's getting 20 to 1. So quite a week one for him. Uh, to wrap things up on your question, uh, as the Notre Dame fan, I feel obligated to say, no, they cannot beat Georgia. For the same reason they couldn't beat Ohio State, they just don't have the skilled players on the outside. As for Ohio State, I, I think they can. And I think that they showed a toughness in their win against Notre Dame that, frankly, they just didn't have last season. And you need that sort of toughness to hang with the dogs because they got dudes all over the field. All right, let's go on to another question you asked your followers today. Um, following week one, which of these three has the best chance to go undefeated? Number one, Oklahoma. Two, USC. Three, Ohio State. So three good performances. Let's go to the first response here from Corey Oliver Hester. Corey says, the first two played cupcakes and the third one in an unimpressive manner. So our guy Corey here just thinks none of the three are impressive. How do you feel about that? Look, man, uh, college football fans are the hardest people in the entire world to impress. So much so that you can run the table undefeated. People say you didn't play nobody. Like, it, it doesn't matter to me. You know, you can't beat Bama. But to that end, like, that's what I was looking at when I was asking this question myself. I wanted to put three teams from three different conferences that have a road to the college football playoff and are undefeated. And I think got dudes enough to at least make that sort of an argument. It's not like I threw Coastal Carolina in front of you, as I have been wont to do in the past, or even UTSA, to talk about a little bit later on. But I wanted to know from folks where they're actually putting their eyes, right? Because if you watch USC, you think the defense now is a little bit better than you expect it to be, even as you expect the offense to do what it does. And for Ohio State's defense, did you think that defense was a little bit better than you thought it would be, knowing what Ohio State's offense does? And then, of course, Oklahoma, I think, is the most balanced that I've seen it be in at least five years, maybe going back to the 2015 or even 2012 season for OU when I thought the offense and the defense were both consistently pretty doggone good. But then it's about schedules, 
right? So to this first question, I, I, I get not being impressed by any of these things, but I'm also going, if we're not impressed by Oklahoma, USC, and Ohio State being 1-0, then what the hell are we watching college football for? Because I'm impressed by that. You know, like I didn't absolutely positively think all three of those teams were going to go 3-0 and this week, but it's a good bet. And we're here for that, right? We're here for the game that's being played and not necessarily for who's going to win the national championship, even if we could say before the season started, just hand it to Georgia or Alabama. Am I a little just too cynical there, Tyler? No. I, the reason I picked this is just it is the most stereotypical college football fan. No one is any good. Nobody has played anyone. Like, if I had to guess here, I don't know, Corey, but I'm guessing that last season when Georgia was like 8-0, 9-0, Corey said, well, Georgia hasn't played anyone. Well, maybe. I mean, they did play nine games against college football teams, and they're winning each game by like 50, but we're just going to discount that. All right, let's move on to another response. This one comes from David Davis Jr. David says, USC has to get by Utah and Notre Dame. Ohio State has to get by Michigan. Oklahoma has Baylor and Texas, but I'm going to be loyal and say Oklahoma. So good for the Sooners. I appreciate the loyalty there, uh, especially as a dude that is as objective and clear out as any OU fan that I've ever met in my life, so much so that Oklahoma fans will tell you all about that. But I'm also, I have to raise my eyebrow here because the man just said Ohio State has to get past Michigan. I'm just going to point out that until November of last year, nobody anywhere would have said the words, Ohio State has to get past Michigan and be taken seriously. Is that where Michigan is? Apparently, because I am the only person holding the straw going, I don't know that Michigan is as good as we think they are. I have them inside the top 25, which hasn't really changed much of anybody's opinion about what I think about Michigan. But now they are accordingly a top five team to many based on beating the hell out of Colorado State in year one with Jay Norvell at the big house at 11 a.m. on a Saturday. They'll play Hawaii at night. They'll play UConn after that. And by then, we're talking about probably them being a top four program according to the people that make rankings, right? Not name me. But I'm also looking at this going, man, is Michigan really that good? And am I overlooking something about them that could give Ohio State fits? Because – Unless J.J. McCarthy is the dude that I think he's going to be, I don't really see it going that way. So the idea of someone just saying that Ohio State has to get past Michigan, especially over the last 10 years, just caught me off guard. Maybe I'm just locked in a little too tightly there. What do you think, Tyler? No, I would agree. I think that's a good segue to our next response. This one comes from Matt Ferguson, who says Ohio State has by far the best chance. Hard to say with Oklahoma and Brent Venables year one. USC has no shot. Riley always dropped at least one game to a less talented team each year. And let's face it, basically admitted he couldn't beat teams with far, with more talent when talking about his playoff record. So Matt here is saying Ohio State, but he had some shots to take at Lincoln Riley on the way out. Hey, man, apparently I am the Oklahoma, only Oklahoma fan who's just like, I'm over it. It's, it's fine. I want USC to be good because when USC is good, it's fun, but I also wanted to be good because, frankly, we haven't had what college football fans think of as a real baby face and heel in a national championship in a very long time. I want to say I got to go back to the first time it ever hit me in the face was Nebraska and Florida when Steve Spurrier was very much the dude wearing the black hat and enjoyed that. And Tom Osborne was the guy that just couldn't get over the top and finally got over the top with what quite literally is one of the greatest college football teams of all time. 
But it, I think it's unfair to say that he's going to drop a game any because it's unfair to say that Nick Saban is going to drop a game if you drop one to AM. And people, Oklahoma fans are the first people to say AM ain't nobody, even as I'm like, yeah, they kind of are. They're kind of pretty good. And I think of USC and being the same way. Now, I also think it's fascinating that Oklahoma fans still have all this to say about USC because there is a there is a point at which it's just petty. Right. And I'm I'm not that person, but I'm not that person because I enjoy the sport and I like it when Lincoln Riley's good, because then we have more quarterbacks to talk about, wide receivers to talk about, running backs to talk about. And frankly, I would like to see USC putting up a fight here in a way that they just haven't mostly since 2017. Like I'm going to give them that Pac-12 championship and that number three rank going into the Rose Bowl and finishing number three in the Associated Press poll, I think with a win over Penn State, if I got that right, with Sam Darnold, back when we all thought that Sam Darnold was that dude. I tend to think that USC actually has the most difficult path of those three programs. One, because I think Notre Dame knows that they're good now, right? Like, I know you only score 10 points on Ohio State, but it's an Ohio State that many of us, myself included, still expect to get to the national championship, right? If not, win it for the first time with Ryan Day. And I know what they're capable of offensively, and I saw you keep them in check. If you could do that to Ohio State, I think you can do that to USC. To say nothing of USC still wants to play an FBS program for all 12 games of its regular season schedule, which is not the way that I would draw this up if I'm looking to win 10 or 11 games, but also if I'm just looking to build some confidence for my players. And then you have Utah. That's going to be tough for you, along with Notre Dame. Fresno State is not a gimme as much as people want to not think about them coming the week after you play Stanford in your first Pac-12 game. I also look around, I see UCLA is not bad. As a matter of fact, if if UCLA won nine games this year, it should not shock anybody. I think that if USC makes the Pac-12 championship and they win it and they're undefeated, they're getting into the college football playoff. Now, I also think that the teams I listed are all capable of beating them, and a couple that you haven't thought of are just going to decide that, no, that's Lincoln Riley as the head coach of USC, and he picked out the Pac-12, and he picked out us because he thought that he could do better than what we've been doing over here, and we have some things that we would like to show Lincoln Riley, who apparently spent a lot of time in South Central and is about to find out what South Central is all about. Tyler, it's a lot there. What do you think? There's a lot going on there. And I want to actually show another response we got. This one comes from Jimmy Trujillo. Jimmy says, USC, because they play in the Pac-12. Admittedly, the Pac-12 did not have the best opening weekend of any of the Power Five conferences. But for all the reasons you just mentioned, I think it's a little bit dismissive of uh, USC's schedule. I'm going to come out and say it. I don't like USC. That does not mean that my next statement is biased. They are not going to beat Notre Dame. Okay, maybe it's a little bit biased. But anyway... um, I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame, and I also don't think they're going to beat Utah. They have to go to Salt Lake and play in, in maybe one of the more underrated hostile environments in college football. It doesn't pack you know, 106,000 like Columbus does or Ohio State does in Columbus, but you get my point. It's really loud. It's raucous. It's going to be the first real test for USC, and you mentioned Fresno State. Jake Hayner can throw the ball, and for me and USC, uh, did you see Relic Brown hit the Heisman pose when he scored a touchdown in the first half against Rice. I mean, for that reason, I'm out. USC's not going undefeated. <laughs> Absolutely not. That would be like me hitting the Heisman pose because I just showed up to work. That's what I'm supposed to do. 
You're supposed to pummel Rice in the season opener. I'm sorry. I saw that and was disgusted. But and anyway, rant over. What do you think? No, I appreciate the rant. And as a guy that has seen Relique Brown play football since he was a freshman in high school at Modern Day, I understand why he's feeling himself. One, that dude flew all the way out to Norman and actually went through workouts at an elite camp in June, I want to say, of 2019 with Brock Vandergriff to win an offer. And Brock Vandergriff and Malik Brown at one point or another were committed to Oklahoma because of Lincoln Riley, right? Now Brock Vandergriff, I think, is the third-string quarterback behind Carson Beck at Georgia. And, of course, Malik Brown hit the Heisman against Rice. To your point about playing at Rice-Eccles, though, my goodness, yes, that atmosphere is not kind to anybody that wants to play there because the Utes fans are extremely proud, and they know that their program has its back against the wall now if they want to make it to the college football playoff, let alone defend their Pac-12 championship. And the Pac-12 being weak, look, man, um, we talked about it on Saturday. We talked about it for our show on Monday, and now we're talking about it for our show on Thursday. It just took another hit to its reputation that it couldn't afford to take, okay? This is a year in which Utah beating up on a Florida team that was unranked would have been great for the Pac-12, especially following Georgia stomping a mud hole in Oregon and walking it dry. So those are your last two Pac-12 champions getting absolutely run out the building by Georgia and then losing a game that they probably should have won in the swamp to a team that's got a first-year head coach and a quarterback that went from iffy to Heisman contender in Anthony Richardson. You have a lot that you have to bounce back from. And now, because they beat up on Rice, you really got to start to talk about USC being one of the better teams in your conference. And you got to hope that that team can beat up on Tyler's Notre Dame because I'll be the first person to point out, 2018 Notre Dame had no business being in a college football playoff, period. Didn't. Damn near lost to 5-7 and seven Southern California. But they won that game. And they end up in the playoff because they're Notre Dame. If you want to see Notre Dame not make the playoff, you need USC to win that game. So if you're a team that can't root for Notre Dame and a team that can't, or a person that can't root for Notre Dame and a person that can't root for Lincoln Riley, you're just stuck. Because I genuinely believe by the time we get to that game, it's going to have college football playoff implications, whether you like it or not. All right. Well, that comment about Notre Dame 2018, we'll just have to have that conversation off air. A little upset by it. Uh, but to wrap things up on this question, I'm just going to say I think it's got to be Ohio State. They're going to be at least two touchdown favorites in every game left on their schedule, with Michigan being the only exception. So they're the most proven team. They got the easiest schedule of the three. That's my pick. Uh, but that's all I got on these mailbag questions for today. I appreciate the pick. I appreciate that you also don't think much of Penn State, Michigan State, Rutgers, Maryland. You know, teams that actually won games over the weekend as opposed to, I don't know, Notre Dame? All that, right. Look, we're going to do this all week. I'm signing Tyler, up. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> Tyler this was is fun. one of the people that makes this <laughs> go, and I love him so much. And this banter is one of the reasons that we wanted to have this mailbag episode that is fun for me, fun for him, and I hope fun for you. Let us know what you think in the comments on the YouTube channel, in the replies, at number one show on the Twitters, the Facebooks, and of course, the Instagrams. 
that is going to do it for this episode of We Out Ya and our week two mailbag. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. Our social media maven is JV on Duncan. And I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all Saturday night. Deuces.